Hello, you're listening to From the Bibliophiles, a science podcast discussing how storytelling succeeds in communicating difficult science concepts. I'm your host and interviewer, Kenna Cassaberry. If you're a new listener, you can find our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other places. Be sure to give us a five-star review if you like our show. If you enjoyed today's episode, like it and share it with your friends. This episode features an exclusive interview with Sam King, a popular science writer and journalist. Sam has written over five best-selling books covering a range of science topics, including chemistry. The book focused in this interview today is The Disappearing Spoon, which discusses the importance of the periodic table of elements and how these elements were discovered. Sam has his own podcast called The Disappearing Spoon, which you can find on his website, www.samkeen.com. That's www.samkean.com. Now for the interview. So my first question, obviously, is going to be a really easy one, which is, what is what was your inspiration for writing Disappearing Spoon? Well, a couple of them. I was working a job at the time where I felt a little stuck doing some writing for it, but I wanted to do a little different type of writing. I wanted to write a little bit more about science, do some other things like that. And I also just wanted to, I wanted to read a book like that, frankly, and there wasn't a book like that out there that really looked at the periodic table and tried to tell a bunch of stories about all of the elements on the table. And I thought, well, you know, if there's not a book out there like that, then maybe I should try to write one. So I guess that was the big inspiration was there wasn't something like that out there and thought there should be. So I tried to put it together. Can you describe a little bit what the research process was like and and why you formatted it to have historical periods in the book, which I found really interesting and both helpful as well? Well, the research was pretty haphazard because, you know, I was just looking for stories about every element. So I just had to, you know, jump into calcium one day and then go to like plutonium and then jump back to, you know, another element on a completely different part of the table. So it was just hunting around looking for stories wherever I could find them. And then, you know, hunting through footnotes of papers, trying to find other things like that. Yeah, just trying to find, dig up stories wherever I could. Some online stuff, but a lot of going to the library and doing things like that as well. And then I had kind of a big mess of stories and had to figure out basically how to organize them into something that would be a little more readable than just, you know, like a a scattered bunch of stories. I'd originally wanted to do it, uh, arrange the stories from hydrogen all the way up, from element one all the way up to element 118, which would have made the book pretty choppy, I think, and not as readable. So what I ended up doing is arranging it sort of by theme, where there were a bunch of stories about art. So I spun those into one chapter, a bunch of stories about war. So I spun those into a chapter and just different themes started to emerge naturally. And that's kind of how I ended up putting them together. Take your time on this next question. As far as just thinking about it, what was your favorite element to research for the book? Definitely mercury. I don't need to take my time. Um, <laughs> mercury is my favorite element. So that is the been my. It's always been my favorite element for a long time, and so it was just always fun to find more stories about it. I didn't even. I I didn't get to fit all of them in the book because there were just a lot of them. Mercury has a really rich history, but it was fun to to write about that. 
Um, in fact, when I was setting up for my podcast, I have a Patreon page where, you know, people who really like the podcast can go and, like, contribute and support. And I set up, like, a silver level and a gold level. And then the top one, I made the mercury one just because I was like, <laughs> well, that's the best element. So clearly that should be the, uh, the top premier tier in there. That's hilarious. And I, I absolutely appreciate that very much. So my next question kind of talks about the book as a whole. Do you think that people have a better appreciation for the periodic table after they've read your book or, or maybe more of not maybe appreciation, but a better understanding of how the elements fit into history and, and society? Yeah, I think they do. I think they will hopefully have a better appreciation for it uh, on two levels. One is a scientific level. I mean, primarily it's a science tool. So I think they're going to walk away with a better understanding of the science behind it, kind of how the periodic table works. But I do hope they have also a richer understanding of the elements' roles in history and how they really do affect our lives in all sorts of hidden ways. And sometimes it's, you know, sort of the everyday thing where an element you maybe never heard of played an important role in, you know, helping to make electronics or helping to make some sort of product that you use. But other times, like big historical events have turned on these tiny obscure elements on the periodic table. And a lot of people don't realize the reach that they've had, even some of the elements that, that we don't use often and then maybe we've never heard of. Um, did any specific element really surprise you with an unusual history where it was maybe more having a bigger impact than you thought or a smaller impact or something really weird that was going on? Uh, a couple of them. A couple of the ones in the war chapters did stand out to me. Molybdenum, uh, element 42, which is uh, an element I knew nothing about before I started writing the book. That one played a, a surprising role in World War One in kind of fueling the Big Bertha guns that the Germans were using at the time. So uh, because of this, this metal that they had, they would use it in steel to toughen the steel up. And because of that, they were able to build these pretty incredible for the time guns that they used to kind of uh, batter the allies and hang on a long time during the war. And they didn't have their own supply, so they ended up basically sending secret agents into the U.S. and invading this mine uh, near where you are in Colorado and basically harassing them, you know, like throwing them off cliffs and stuff to get their hands on this obscure element because it was so important to their war efforts. So that was one story, this uh, kind of the most remote battle of World War One taking place in Colorado of all places. And then in more modern times, there's elements like tantalum, which is an important element in uh, cell phones and the circuits in cell phones. And that element fueled the wars in the Congo that uh, took place during the 1990s that really, really were some of the most destructive wars we've seen in the 20th century, definitely the most destructive wars since World War II. So it's surprising to think that these, again, obscure elements are really, uh, a lot of history is turning on them. Feel free not to answer this next question if you don't want to, but what are you currently working on? Because you have a series of books, and they all have the theme of different elements, whether it's in the air or, you know, in war or something like that. And I'm just curious if um, if you are changing that or sticking to the same subject with your next work or, or taking a break. The next book uh, is going to be about basically scientists who have gotten so obsessed with some topic that they went way too far and committed either they did something unethical in some cases and sometimes they even committed crimes 
and sometimes some pretty heinous crimes even. So it's about scientists who, you know, took things way too far in the name of science and sort of the nature of scientific obsession and how they justified it and some of the things that they... And in some cases, you know, there's some sort of... I guess it kind of mixes true crime with, uh, with science. So it's kind of a blend of those two. Wow, that'll be a very interesting read. I'm looking forward to that. So switching topics and and focusing more on your podcast, I'm curious what made you get into podcasting? Because many science writers I know have either tried to start getting into podcasting or they've thought about it and they haven't yet made that leap. And I'm I'm curious what, what drove you to deciding to do a podcast. Well, basically, I have a bunch of really great stories sitting around from the research I've done, and they deserve to be told, and they're fun stories, but they just didn't have a place in one of my books, because, again, like you said, my books have kind of a central theme to them, and I do wonder sometimes, but kind of generally try to stick to that theme, but these stories just didn't fit somewhere, so I had them sitting around, and I thought, you know, I want to get these stories out there, I want people to hear them, but they don't have a place in the book. So a podcast would be kind of a good regular way to get these stories out there and to have some fun with it. And it's been fun to do a different type of writing too. I'm pretty used to the standard, either, you know, sort of shortish magazine type story or the longer book chapter kind of thing. But this is a different type of writing. So it's been fun to do that. And there's some really, really great stories out there. So I've been really happy with what we've done so far. And I have some more great stories coming up in the future too. Oh, that's exciting. So I'm curious then, because your podcast is labeled as science history, and I think that's great. Um, and clearly, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes sense for you for the, the stories you have on file. Is there any particular way you go about choosing the stories you want to put in the podcast? Or is it more just kind of, I really want to tell this story this week or, or do an episode on this, that sort of thing? Mostly it's just I find the story compelling and want to do it. I have a couple coming up pretty soon that'll be tied to anniversaries. One's an anniversary of sort of an unusual murder that I'm going to put out a podcast about. A couple of them coming up have related to some kind of quirky history around the atomic bomb, and the 75th anniversary of that is coming up in August. So sometimes they're tied to anniversaries or something, but mostly it's just this is a compelling story, and I think this is the time to tell it. So I have one last question for you, and then I'll let you go, and it's kind of a silly question. In your unofficial biography, you claim that open-faced sandwiches are superior (laughs) to any other particular sandwich, and I'm wondering if there's a specific reason why, maybe as a physicist or or having that science background, or is it more just a preference of taste? It's just a preference of taste. I, I, I get asked this question more than anything else. Really? I, I get the, yeah, I get asked this question all the time. People are really interested to know the answer. It talks and things, usually it is. Sure, um, sure. But... I just think it makes more sense because the reason you're eating the sandwich isn't the bread, it's the filling that you want. And so if you have an open-faced sandwich, then the filling gets more directly in your mouth. The bread isn't in the way then of the filling. I mean, ideally, it would be kind of an upside-down sandwich, so it would get right on your tongue as well. But, you know, physically that doesn't work as well. So I think an open-faced sandwich is the next best compliment. Okay, perfect. Yeah, the ratio there, filling to bread, makes more sense, too. Exactly. And then as far as your podcast goes, where can we find it? Is it all? Is it under all the platforms as Disappearing Spoon? Yeah, you go on iTunes, you search for Disappearing Spoon, it'll pop right, bu- pop right up. Or you can go to my website, uh, samkeen.com slash podcast. 
and you can find it there. And there's information about all my books there, some excerpts from the books, things like that.